0: Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 75, Jon Snow in A Dance with Dragons, Chapter 9. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Liza Arbor or LizaNarborGold.com.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit, on the Maester Monthly Podcast, or maybe you know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter.
0: Yes, this is like an anniversary episode the
1: 75th oh what did our episode our anniversary of just 75
0: Yeah, 75 i don't know what's the 75th anniversary is it um, diamond what? right yeah so this is the diamond podcast wow i would have gotten you real diamonds but i wouldn't <laughs> have done that no <sighs> it's just not you
1: i don't think so either i'm not i don't think i'm a diamond person
0: no i i see you as Something simple but beautiful.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, Diamond has that, but I feel like it's a little more eclectically expensive. A good round marble. I would take a marble and poke a hole through it and then put it on a necklace. Hey, you guys, we are back with Jon Snow in A Dance with Dragons. We're slowly inching our way across the finish line, but it's going to pick up pace in this episode for sure. Um, Lots happens in this episode holy crap
1: yeah but there's like another three people and it's a lot so many things i'm like happen. wow
0: then john did this then john did this amazing did yeah a lot so. of talking yeah and the next chapter is crazy too i finally was like what if we joined some chapters and i was like nope these ones are not the ones to be joined <laughs> we're just nope.
1: never joining chapters ever again sorry everyone remember Especially... we used to do two chapters at a time nope
0: you know, I heard Nauticast they, uh, not a Cast is doing a live stream tonight. And that means half of it is being recorded in the room directly behind us. So if you hear any bleed through, that's why. Uh, but I heard them, I heard them doing a little smack talking before they were recording, where I heard them say, Oh, yeah, I remember when we thought maybe we might be able to do a few episodes at once and hmm. blah, blah, blah. But they learned, they're young. I was like, Excuse me? What's that supposed to mean?
1: We could probably still do it again.
0: Whatever. Maybe not. The next POV.
1: Mm, the next POV is pretty.
0: Yeah, they're long chapters.
1: They're pretty heavy chapters. Who Jesus. knows what that is, everyone?
0: If we're getting close, I mean, we'll reveal it eventually.
1: Eventually. Sometime
0: in the next uh, four episodes, you'll hear about it.
1: So yeah, sometime in the new year, you know, a good resolution. But for new now, new year, new us. <laughs> but for now, a storm, our lightning round.
0: Yeah, we are going to cover everything you missed between chapter 8 of John and chapter 9. First chapter after that being Tyrion 9. The Salasaurian Koran breaks upon the water and Tyrion, Penny, and Jorah stay barely afloat for 19 days until a slaver ship arrives.
1: The Turncloak. Snowmen watch over Winterfell as Theon Greyjoy hears Barbary Riswold's bitter laments in the crypts.
0: The King's Prize. Stannis acquires a valuable hostage at Deepwood Mott, Asha Greyjoy. She treats with him, but he doesn't seem to respect her opinion very much on, well, anything. The winter winds blow around them and they camp in a crofter's square. The party is beginning to look thinner and ragged each day and provisions are low.
1: Daenerys Seven. The Dornishmen arrive at court? Daenerys has to say no to two more marriage proposals before going through with her perfect dream wedding to her number one Hisdar materials. That's wait a second.
0: Wait a second. Is this a crossover? This
1: is this is the crossover <laughs> episode. I mean, it could be one of the other worlds. Anything.
0: Anything's possible. Boo-doo.
1: Boo
0: doo. <laughs> boo-doo. Do-do-do. John, nine. The royal shes arrive at Castle Black, Selyse and Shireen, a detour on their winter vacation before they head to the, oh, you know, the vacation home, abandoned Sacrifice Mansion.
1: Luigi's Mansion.
0: Oh, my God. All the queen's horses and all the queen's men find a way to pick a fight all over again with the free folk, and John plays Monopoly with Tycho Nestoris. Oh, and the gray girl shows up, finally, on the dying horse. It's not who you'd think it is, if you were John, But, since this is a reread, we know who it is. It's Alice Karstark.
1: Yeah, good thing that we didn't have to wait as long as John did. He had to, like, get dressed, go all the way downstairs. All we had to do was flip a few pages. Salise, Shireen, and Patchface return to Castle Black with 50 of the Queen's men. Melisandre saw them a day before the raven arrived uh, at Castle Black. And rumors of Selise's temperament have reached the men of the Night's Watch. So John brings a party so that they can seem substantial. So it looks like he's rolling deep. (laughs) And apparently he tries to give her her horse. She's like, here, take my horse. And to any that are near, because she thinks that, oh, this is the help.
0: Uh, Selyse is like the worst. John really wanted to avoid that. So he's like, I'm just going to bring 20 of my best men, which are like all 20 of his men. And (laughs) he brings them with him just so he can i don't know be less afraid of the queen
1: (laughs) he's like people she wanted people to welcome her right she wanted people to come over and clap i think selese legitimately did want that
0: well and it's kind of uh that that parallel to Tyrion, right with the dornish in a way of bringing a party to meet them at the pass when they Mm. come in uh right it does remind me a lot of that the weather has improved for a bit it feels mid-40s with no precipitation John takes a knee to the Queen Selise, who immediately asks to see the Lord Commander. And John's like, It me. I'm the manager. You're asking for me. I am the manager.
1: Yeah, I have this headcanon. Okay. There's the quote by Selise. First of all, this is a satisfying moment from John. Second, so Selise, when she finds it out, she goes, You, they said you were young, but. Queen Solis' face was pinched and pale. She wore a crown of red gold with points in the shape of flames, a twin to that worn by Stannis. So the butt that gets cut cut off. She never actually finishes the sentence, and I've been, like, going through my head. I'm like, what could she have been about to say? For me, I think maybe she's going to be like, they said you were young, but no one said you were so hot.
0: Yeah, like, they said you were young, but no one said your butt was so small and tight.
1: (laughs) And it's like, chill the fuck out, Solis. Yes, he's young.
0: (laughs) Mean thirsty bitch, she only gets laid by Rallor. Oh, yeah. Pretty
1: much. I mean, pretty much. Uh, God. uh, I I think it's.
0: (sighs) I think the god, Rallu. Oh, god, (laughs) Rallu. One god, one realm. A little brief history with House Florent. We've talked a little bit about some of those political ambitions surrounding them, but. Little bit on their famous, I don't know what characters of note, there's Floris the Fox is the most famous Florent character. She was the legendary daughter of Garth Greenhand, and she had three husbands who were ignorant of each other. Her sons became the founders of House Florent, House Ball, and House Peak. Some of the tales are also told that Land the Clever was a bastard that was born to her or her sister Rowan Goldtree. So they married many times into the royal gardener family, beyond that lore, and throughout the centuries, Peaks and Osgraves began to brag if they got to marry into House Florent. It's a really prominent area, it sits right near the Honeywine, north of Honeyholt, east of the Bandolin, and southwest of the Mander, which is basically between Highgarden and Oldtown, the big seats of power in the Reach. Right now, the current lord is Alakane Alakane?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I was like, this is one of the stranger of the names that George has come up with.
0: It is a little odd. He's the son of Alistair Florent, who was a staunch Stannis supporter, having to rule Stannis' kingdom when he sulked after Blackwater with Selyse, uh... Alistair, if you remember, goes behind Stannis' back to make peace with the Lannisters, going so far as to leverage Shireen in marriage to Tommen, exchanging Stannis' claim to let him be the Lord of Storm's End in Dragonstone. Uh, he's discovered and is imprisoned in Dragonstone with Davos, and later burned by Melisandre in a feast for crows. Alicain, his son, has fled to Oldtown, and Brightwater is currently being held by Sir Colin Florent, Alistair's younger brother. In A Feast for Crows, Garland was planning to attack Brightwater as he was rewarded that from the Blackwater, but he gets sidetracked by the Ironborn taking the Shield Islands. You'll remember we discussed just a couple episodes ago that Stannis and Selyse's match worked great politically. If only Robert had any issues with the Tyrells, he could put Stannis and Selyse in place to quell any sort of rebellion or control the Reach. Renly's marriage into the Reach, though, now makes so much more sense, just aesthetically speaking marrying stannis to a reach girl is like what like a highborn northern girl a riverlander girl iron island something to bind him to the realm but the reach like stannis is just sitting in the reach with flower crowns in his hair going i guess i'd rather die
1: john aaron thought this through and like you said they could uh put them up in place of the tyrells but stannis was also like damn why these people
0: you know right and it's funny because the reach i was just talking with poor quentin from not a cast on this and he was talking about how like the reach on the surface is like that fake aquitaine but underneath it's like very much so i don't know plantation odor like the crop and the wealth is there but these are people that are willing to starve out the realm just to gain more power
1: and because of that they do have so much power which is why i think it makes sense this, yeah. this, this match, even though Stannis doesn't get it, he, he takes everything as a slight. Yeah.
0: And we're about to hear a little more about the alliances that Stannis has built. For sure. But first, uh, Selise introduces John to the princess and to her men. First, Axel Florent, another brother of Alistair's. And this is our first look at him in the Girls Gone Canon chapters. He mm-hmm. has a wiry beard and a neck beard and hairy ears and nostrils with short legs and a thick chest. Very characterized. Interesting.
1: Yeah, he apparently has the signature Florent ears, though.
0: Oh yes, can't miss those.
1: I do want to point out that throughout this entire exchange, for all of it, like with Shireen, there she's being very shy and bashful around John, because obviously she's like, "Oh, he's up so pretty," and it really mirrors, in my opinion, the reaction of Marcella, another "quote unquote" Baratheon princess, to a. Quote unquote, stark boy.
0: Oh, I love that. You know, KJ's Emerald had just tweeted at me the other day. We were talking about how John dismissing Marcella's vapidness, quote unquote, which uh, famously, if you recall, you and I were like, that was dumb. Screw he was just jealous. He was jealous. But she also said, interesting that Marcella has maybe some qualities that aren't quite as wild which is what we know John is into as far as Egret and Val and eventually Daenerys. And I thought that was a really interesting observation. I never noticed that. Mm. Interesting translation.
1: Yeah. Rosala turns out, you know, she can dish it out. She can take it. She's out there in the (laughs) desert.
0: Yeah. She's surviving better than the other two. Mm -hmm. Truly. Selyse introduces the rest of the men. And I... A couple of them we've heard in passing in other chapters, so let's talk about them real quick. Sir Narbert is actually Sir Narbert Grandison. Eliana, pay attention to this history lesson. You might recall in past episodes we've talked about House Grandison. They were one of the houses that pledged loyalty to Robert only after he defeated them in battle.
1: (laughs) You know, this time's not any different. I'm like, oh, we're... Grandson. I don't remember them at all one of these days what Chloe says is gonna stick with me but I'm too busy being like Narbert I think that's why I'm just so distracted I'm like Narbert what a hilarious name
0: it's a really ridiculous name and uh we're gonna hear a little bit about some of these different people and where they're from but they're not all from one area right it's not all like Viserys and Jaheris and Carries and Larry's and Warys and Waldois. I don't know it's not all about that uh, the next person is Sir Benathan Scales, and that's literally all we know about him—is his surname is Scales. Sir Bruce of House Buckler from Bronze Gate, which is northeast of Storm's End. Sir Patrick is from King's Mountain; it's a made-up place. George hasn't put on a map yet. Sir Dordan the Dower, no information about him. Sir Maligorn is from Redpool, which is unplaced on a map. Lambert Whitewater, no home to speak of, nothing from George. But the one that sticks out the most to me. And you'll have to let me know what you think about this because there's a handful of things here. Sir Perkin, Sir Perkin is from House Follard in the Crownlands. And off the top of my head, I don't really remember a House Follard. Like I couldn't tell you a single character from it other than Perkin. Can you?
1: Uh, no, because I was confusing him with the other Perkin.
0: Yeah, and so <laughs> here's another confusion. House Follard kind of reminds me of House Hollard too.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, I know they're different, but. Are they? Because here's my question.
0: And you might also remember it because there was Dick Follard at Castle Black who died in the attack on the wall. So he is in relation to this house. But interesting that this prominent member of the Stormlands, and when I say prominent, House Follard has a sigil. George has given them a sigil. It's semi-canon of 12 red and white jirani on a gold canton, a two-peaked fool cap of red and white with silver bells. And they have house words. Huh this house that we have not heard of they none upwards. so wise yeah so it also completely reminds me of perkin the fleet in fire and blood who was aligned with the greens initially ended up commander of the city watch crowned his squire tristane true fire makes me wonder if we're gonna see sir perkin flip sides mm. to someone else maybe in the crown lands in the winds of winter or a dream of spring Some of these people, like Justin Massey and Perkin, who are on the mainland and the Crownlands, had to have joined Stannis after he sent his letter out because they weren't actually at Dragonstone in the original meeting.
1: And then it's interesting that you talk about how there are uh, silver bells in the Fool's cap in that sigil because who else runs across the page just now if not Patchface?
0: Silver bells. Silver bells.
1: His antlered hat. As cowbells.
0: Hear them ring.
1: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I know. And okay. motley tattooed cheeks. That's Patch Face. <laughs> Jazz <Just> hands. <laughs> that, that was your uh, quota for songs. That was your Girl Scone Cannon
0: singing quota today, apparently. we That was improv, I think.
1: Yeah, I, it was. I don't think I've ever sung Silver Bells with a patch, patch Face twist before.
0: Truly, everyone's missing out on the fun we have. Honestly,
1: <laughs> Cotter Pike had claimed that
0: Patchface was a simpleton, a rude. Um, I mean, it's not his fault; it's the water's fault. And the last member of the Queen's party is finally introduced, and it is Tycho Nestoris of the Iron Bank of Bravos who has come to treat with Stannis.
1: I do love that there's a quick line when Tycho Nestoris gets introduced, and John's like, Cotter Pike brought this up in the in the letter, and he, it's like. This is all John could think about for a whole week. He was just so excited, he's like, oh, Money! It's coming oh, to the money. Mall.
0: Finally a chance at survival!
1: <laughs> yeah. And he's like, play cool, John! He offers the King's Tower to the high, very, very high maintenance lease. He's like, I'm gonna move to the Nightford as soon as we're rested, and John's like, Oh, okay, word. Um, would you like some food? And she's like, Sure. Then he takes her to Lady Melisandre in the King's Tower first.
0: John tells Celise the Nightford is still a ruin as he takes her to Melisandra before the food, and only part has been restored, but Celise is like, Eastwatch sucks, it's a broken down dump and Cotterpike sucks. And John's like, yeah, but this place is also really a broken down dump.
1: Yeah, I have a quick side note before Chloe actually says smart things. Celise basically conveys very, very strongly that she disliked Cotter Pike. She like finds him stingy and unpleasant and rude. But I le- really love that John internally is like, you should hear what Cotter Pike has to say of you. He doesn't say it aloud, but that's literally what it says. And I am so bad that I don't get to read john and cotter's dms because apparently they talk a lot of shit about a lot of people cotter pike has a lot of shit to talk about axel florin as well
0: like i love that he straight up will just text john and be like you do not understand the stupid shit this motherfucker is saying to me
1: yeah it's like in the middle of the night cotter pike sending john out of nowhere ofg and john's like
0: just Stop. like poop and then, emojis, and
1: then Cotter Pike sends like probably a wall of text. <laughs> <laughs> poop emojis
0: at three a.m. I know. Uh, yeah, they they ain't shit. Cotter Pike's like Axel Florent ain't shit. Send poop emoji, poop emoji, poop emoji.
1: <sighs> yeah. Uh,
0: this whole entire interaction, any interaction with Salise is straight up like, can I speak to your manager? Like that's straight up what it is. Every interaction, she it that. makes me cringe. I'm just like, Salise has a stacked a line, Bob. I bet you $5. Oh is that what that's
1: called? I didn't know that's what that yes that was called. Hilarious.
0: Yes. <laughs> the Nightfort. I love that Selyse is like, let's go. Let's go to the Nightfort. And John's like, are you really sure that's where you want to go? It's like the family-friendly resort for this <laughs> vacation. Right? Like, it, have we talked about what it looks like? I don't think we have yet. We haven't done the brand chapters. Lewin mm, says it's true. the only castle with steps that are cut into the actual wall. And before the restoration of one area that the Night's Watchmen have been performing, the fort was broken. Towers with tunnels connecting vaults and other tunnels. There's a bell tower, rookery, a brew house, a library, dungeons for about 500, a bathhouse, an armory, a forge, a great hall. And the great hall, of course, is just filled with rats and there's only one wall. And then the kitchen is an octagon of stone with a huge roof domed and it's well-stepped, and there's overgrowth of foliage everywhere, so it's like small forests are all around it, and a huge twisted weirwood is growing through the kitchen, and there's trees growing through the stables, and the gate to the wall, not the black gate, but the gate to the wall is sealed with frozen stone and rubble. It's like a motley, grisly-sounding place. Like It does not sound appetizing.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a horror, like a horror movie just waiting to happen.
0: Like, if somebody paid you money to stay at the Night Fort for one night, would you do it?
1: No, and I'm pretty sure that's why Sam and Bran don't do it either. They're just like, let's just go through the mouth. (laughs) Go through the strange tree mouth. We can't stay here.
0: Like, do you think, what do you think happens to those that stay there one night? Do you think they burn their daughter?
1: No, they feed them to the strange mouth in the wall. Like, then it opens up, it it closes its mouth, and there's no other side. It opens it again, and there's only darkness.
0: Just like when Johnny Depp should have gotten eaten by that bed in Nightmare on Elm Street forever.
1: I don't think I watched that movie.
0: Too scary. There's this quote from Mira, Reed, and Bran in A Storm of Swords 4. It is only another empty castle, Mira said as she gazed across the desolation of rubble, ruins, and weeds. No thought Bran. It is the night fort and this is the end of the world. (laughs) Uh,
1: Guitar solo.
0: Pretty much just like metal (laughs) eruption plays. No, I guess eruption by Van Halen would play at the Doom of Valyria. Alisanne even told Jaehaerys of it, my cats. It is so huge that men seem dwarfed by it like mice in a ruined hall. Ha. Good call your cat, there.
1: I know, I was like, your cats would talk about mice. No, I
0: meant because Brian said that the Great Hall was made of rats.
1: Oh, I was thinking about your cats, as Yellow always. Too.
0: It is so huge, the men seem dwarfed by it, like mice in a ruined hall, and there's a darkness there, a taste in the air. I was so glad to leave that place. There's just so much context in the books and so many things that have happened at the Nightfort that it's not a good place, right? Like, good things don't happen there. No. It's where the Knights King reigned, where the Rat King served his prince and bacon pie to the Andal King, where 79 sentinels stood their watch, Danny Flint was raped and murdered here, and King Sherrick called his curse down on the Andals of Old. Simeon star eyes saw his hellhounds fight here. Mad Axe walked the yard to butcher his brothers in the dark, if that's not some foreshadowing. I don't know what. Arson Ice Axe was sealed into that wall that we talked about, too. (laughs) His name is
1: Arson. Like, what do you want?
0: (laughs) I like how there's Mad Axe and then there's Ice Axe.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was also thinking, is Mad Axe like a Mad Max or like whatever riff? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Could be, it could be. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, Sleaze. Read a history book. This is terrifying and terrible. Why do you want to stay here? I do think, coming back to Alysanne and you are saying, though, like, Celise's reaction is kind of remarkable in the context, um, because her reaction to the Night's Watch is really quite ungrateful. She's very outspoken about how unworthy the Night's Watch's accommodations have been for her. Knowing what they've been through... Just now, you know, knowing that like they came up here because they were fighting for their lives and because they're protecting the realm. And honestly, like she's pretty insufferable. Like Alisanne is also given quite modest accommodations and she remarks that and she remarks upon it all with such grace. And she was like an actual queen. I'm throwing the shade sleaze. You're not a real queen. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Alicent had a dragon, and she lived in the splendor of King's Landing, and again, had a dragon, and she was used to far better than Sleaze, and she graciously tells the Night's Watch, she's like, everything is perfect, this is amazing, thank you so much, and like, means it from the bottom of her heart, or at least conveys that, whether or not she truly feels that way, and rather than diminishing the Night's Watch, she does what she can to try and bolster it.
0: Yeah, it, it, she's... <sighs> And watching even the way that their quote unquote court behaves, um, it's just like this very stunted, dark, twisted version of a court, right? You have their fool is patch face. Like this is already very much like a, um, oh my God, gory. It's like a a gory piece, right? Like you have the little girl with the scaly face and the gothic black clothes. And I don't know, like I'm seeing like an Edward gory slash... Nightmare Before Christmas-esque rendition of these people showing up at Castle Black. And it's important to think about for Stannis and his cause, which it's weird to talk about him so much when he's not here for once. I'm sure he loves it from afar, wherever he is, sacrificing his daughter. But he's not really on a hero's journey, is what we know to be true. But we're deceived by that. And it's interesting taking it into context with what we might see for other characters going forward, but especially... Now that I'm rereading it and just understanding him more, all of his various followers and people that believe in him for being a beacon for change or hope are following him on the whim that he could be the last one to possibly make a change. But for him, his hero moment in his mind is being the one true king, Mm, no matter what. It's not about the White Walkers, it's not about the others. They're an enemy to vanquish to prove himself to his dead brother who didn't give him the acceptance he needed, or the time of day, and to his dead parents who are probably why he needs that acceptance from his dead brother who didn't give him it either. You know, like, (laughs) sounds like this might be a thing. But for us, we want Stannis' true hero moment to be something different, right? Like fighting the White Walkers. In our head, we're like, oh, Stannis could kill the White Walkers he says he wants to. I would like to see him do it. But in the end, to have his true hero moment, because it's not about what we want him to do, Stannis has to sacrifice everything to gain it all, right? To get that status of one true king. And not to totally pull the Thanos snap, but Shireen is what he has to sacrifice. And he goes so far, and that's the line he crossed. And that's the difference between the hero story and the villain story, right? Like, when do you find that line? When do you cross it? And when is there no coming back? And the Nightfort completely represents that. It is this hopeless fortress, John says. It is a fortress, not a castle.
1: Mm. Like you said, it's about that line. And... I mean, maybe his hero moment, or what, what was going to be deceived into thinking it is, right, is him taking back Winterfell, mm-hmm. right, defeating Ramsey. Absolutely. And then you realize, oh, he didn't, like you said, necessarily do that for heroic reasons. He did it because he's he thinks, or desperately wants, even though he says he doesn't want it to be the chosen one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because again, he has daddy issues that are also tied up in his brother issues. Uh, Life's hard. Slees though, does not find Eastwatch very safe for Stannis' heir, Shereen. Wow! Wow! Yes, we're getting somewhere! And she thinks- Interesting. S- Maybe this is where the attack will come from, but, um, no. But you were almost there, Sleeze. You were so close. They're interrupted instead, though, by a shadow over the crew. But- it's just one one. One Aww. one then tries to kneel to Shereen and sleeves, saying words that Leathers had taught him of new queen, little queen. Oh
0: one one, he's learning their tongue to fit in, to assimilate, to be accepted by his new brothers. Yeah. It really makes me so mad reading this next part. It's like White people being awful in grocery stores to people of color that don't speak the language. Like, that's what it feels like to me. It's awful. One one's out here trying to learn a language that he, A, doesn't have to learn.
1: He really doesn't. B,
0: yeah, he has one friend and it's leathers, so why would it matter? B, it's a complicated language and it's made up like all languages. So it's kind of like he's trying very hard. He's trying to live in this new land, behave how he quote unquote should here and he's trying to be respectful of both little and big queen shireen and selice and shireen of course is charmed, but selice is like don't talk to it dear you'll catch whatever it has and it just sucks it's like a gross selice is really gross in this chapter i'm really mad at her and i hate her and is not invited to my birthday party
1: gross most times <laughs> we'll get to back to her but yeah Shireen is, as you said, super jazzed about 1 1 because she's like, he's like a giant from the stories. And she's like, but John, why isn't his speech very good? He tells her, well, 1 1 speaks the old tongue. He's learning. And then this lesson, as you said, is interrupted by Sleece so calling 1 1 a savage and a filthy creature and expressing distaste at him being at the wall. And John's like, shut the fuck up. He's a guest here. And he says he's a guest here, same as you are, more or less. And he's like, y'all are the same show him some respect. And then all of Selyse's men decide to show their distaste as well. And Mr. Narbert says, I thought that all the giants were dead. And John's like, oh my god, you can't just like say that shit in front of people. And Egret's voice uh, repeats in his head again and he thinks of her weeping for the giants.
0: I love that. I love that she is once more that background beat for him with all of these issues concerning the free folk. And that is kind of what yeah, guides him, right? That's the compass guiding him and dealing with these issues and him going, no, these are people. These are humans and obviously 1-1 is not a human per se. He's a giant, but he is a people. He is a people. Yeah. And John knows he has to protect that. Yeah. It, it, it's sad to see this now and realize, like, these are a whole people that are all being treated like this by just anyone, any Southern person. Yeah. <sighs> Patchface is adorned with beaver pelts and squirrel fur, and is singing, In the dark, the dead are dancing, I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. And One One reaches for him, but Patchface hops out of his reach, singing, and he plops into a snowbank, which amuses One One-One. One. But One One's amuse starts to startle the Queen's men, who draw their steel, and John warns them they need to sheathe it, getting One One escorted back to Hardens with Leathers. John says he'll send food for them, and Leathers requests some wine. But apparently, one one has taken a very big liking to alcohol since coming past the walls. So John says that he will send for wine for Leathers only. This was really sad. It, it makes me realize some of what George is reaching for. I think here, um, it, it reminds me a lot of addiction and alcoholism in indigenous communities. Doctor Joel Kettner is actually a really deep researcher into this. And I've read a couple of his papers and interviews talking about kind of the predisposition for the predisposition for alcoholism and what it affects and social circumstances and social conditions, whether it's in the United States of America or throughout the world with the family and community and society. And indigenous populations have a lot of patterns of poverty poor housing, disenfranchisement because of colonization and oppression by settlers. And those factors lead to poor social and community health problems. And studies show high rates of alcohol-related injuries and disease in urban and rural communities of indigenous people that have these factors affecting them. And I think George did kind of speak to this. I mean, I think a lot of what we've seen with reservations and...
1: The fact of the matter is, like, as you said, it comes down to social circumstances and social conditions because these Mm -hmm. studies have shown that the rates of alcoholism correlate not to them being indigenous, as a, yeah, it it is only because of those systems of colonialism. But ultimately, it it actually tracks with any other group of people who are in that mm-hmm. same socio economic uh place, especially class, in yeah. terms of class and poverty. Um, and yes. as you said, poor housing. It has nothing to do with uh race so much as the systems around them.
0: Yeah, and it's complete propaganda, too. They're being pushed below and restricted from getting the same things as everyone else. Yeah. An oil line being installed in nature that completely pollutes a whole entire water supply or completely stops all crop growth. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's when industrialism starts to take over and humanity is being wiped out from it. And it's like, it's very interesting because I know there's the whole oh, the White Walkers are, you know, environmental and climate change. And I see that in some ways, but it—it it,
1: It's not the only.
0: Yeah, it's not the only. And the way this world works that George has written, it very much so, like, yes, it's written as feudalism. And yes, there are different cultures to introduce, but it doesn't feel so different when you really look at the broad strokes of things.
1: Yeah, because it's not, right? Like... It, Everybody he wrote has a it lord. Now. Everyone has a senator. Everyone
0: has a lord. Everyone yeah. has a governor. Everyone has a president in or a, a king or a you know it's <sighs> power is power. Yeah,
1: and George wrote it, of course. Now, so any of those things are, of course, influenced by his modern day. Don't think life experiences. this book
0: was written now, Eliana.
1: You're right. This book was written in two thousand and. 9-ish, 11, out in 2011. It's 2019, everyone. It's a very different day and age. Everyone. It actually is a really different day and age. And I'm fine. I'm fine. This is fine. John speaks to the Queen's Knights in his father's words that a man shouldn't draw his sword unless he means to use it. True. Sir Patrick talks back to him, saying, like, I can't believe you're keeping these. And in his words, monsters as pets. And John's like, they're not pets. Okay. Uh, you're the one with the fucking patch face. Okay. Uh, guest rate right is sac- sacred here, and one man is to be treated as a guest.
0: Patrack asks John if he means to offer the others hospitality as well, and then he escorts the queen to her towers, who leaves rather coldly for such a hot burn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of burning, uh, the flames on Celise's crown are the warmest thing about her. I love that line about Selyse.
1: Yeah, Selyse is pretty terrible. There's a lot of good lines about her. In Ned Stark's chapters, which we, you know, covered a long, long, long time ago, and by that I mean apparently 75 A Song of Ice and Fire episodes ago, we talked about the imagery around Cersei and how... Before Ned confronted her in the godswood and realized that her eyes burned, a lot of the language around Cersei was portraying her as this really cold woman, as an ice queen, but then we saw that turns out she's fiery and very wrathful. Anyway, George seems to do something here, I think, uh, that is similar, but he's shrouding Celyse with irony by having these lines about flames and and her worshipping a red god and all these things, but that the warmest thing about her is only the flames on her crown, that she is also seen as an ice queen, but now she's here at the wall. And just as we saw that Circe was beautiful on the outside, but rotten and ugly on the inside. Uh, and just as we saw the opposite of that with Brienne, right? She's mockingly and ironically called the beauty by people because she's just not physically attractive. But on the inside, she's beautiful and the truest knight. Well, George is like, you know what also exists? It's not just these, like, inversions. Turns out you can be like Celise. You can be ugly on the outside and the inside. (laughs) That's George's hot take. Uh, Unlike Celise's daughter, who John describes as homely, uh, she's considered ugly by many, especially because of her grayscale. But turns out she's really just a precious cinnamon bun, and she's not going to be protected at all costs. Yeah. Turns out. Well,
0: that's that's the whole point. <laughs> that's all, the costs, story. all costs. All costs means sacrifice <laughs> her. The price? Uh, the price to pay is her. You know, there's your parallel with Mercella like we were talking about. Shireen, uh, uh he calls Mercella vapid, he calls Shireen homely. Maybe he's just not into the baratheon thing. I don't know. A Targaryen not into it. Uh there's that line that great line from Eddard, what is it? Eddard Seven Oh, Cersei is lovely to look at, truly, but cold. The way she guards her cunt, you'd think she had all the gold of Casterly Rock between her legs from Robert.
1: Yeah. And I mean interestingly, even though Stannis hates Robert sleeping yep. around. Absolutely I mean... a
0: parallel. Oh my god. The biggest parallel. That's straight up like Stannis just adopted his brother's way of regarding his wife. Yeah.
1: Even though Not that she makes
0: it easy on him. Yeah. Same with Cersei.
1: Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, Stannis, you wanted to be like Robert in a way, right? You got it. Congrats. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. Man, you know what's horrible? I don't know if we include this, but Robert would congratulate Stannis on sleeping with Melisandre.
0: He would. He'd be like, ah, I'd like to feel those.
1: And then Stannis would be like, oh. Mm-hmm. And then Melisandre
0: would be like, in her head, somewhere, she would somehow know the conversation from her fires and just think like, Yeah, they
1: look pretty good for 400 years old. Thanks, (laughs) Robert. She'll be like, I'm doing great. Touches. I bet you want to touch these 400 year old titties. Yeah. Good for her. John. Oh, go ahead. You do it. John calls for Lord Tycho to speak with him as the crew exits, uh, remarking on the three ships that he brought with him. For context, because I felt like looking this up, I was like, these are interesting. We got a lot of details on these ships. From George, Tycho comes from Bravos with a galleus, a galley, and a cog. And all three are actually ships that were used during the medieval era. Some uh, go back further than others. Like, I think the cog might be the oldest. There's a lot of different interesting hashtag nuance to all of these being part of Tycho's crew. Cogs were something of a workhorse of ships. They are often associated with trade. Uh, They could be used for militaristic purposes, but uh, that was, I think, the big thing that they were tied with. Galleys were propelled by rowing. All these might have been propelled by rowing. I don't know. And sails, obviously. Uh, But galleys were mostly used in warfare initially, but in Italy, somewhere around the 14th century, merchant gallery... Merchant galleys started becoming a big thing and were produced by states to sort of do both a militaristic purpose, as well as serving private enterprises by transporting goods and large amounts of passengers. And both cogs and galleys as trade ships actually have the benefit of being effective against piracy. And finally, you have the Galleus. I might actually be pronouncing all these wrong, to be honest, which likely evolved from large merchant galleys, but were developed initially as warships. They are larger and heavier and slower than the regular or the light galley uh, and were much more reliant on their sails. And they might have been meant to combine the benefits of, like, the larger armed cargo ships of the Galleon along with galleys. And I think that it's interesting... This is why John points it out because Bravos is, of course, a place known for its merchantry and trade. So it isn't surprising that a city would have these sorts of ships with which to do double duty. But I think it is interesting, and this is why John's confused. He's like, these are really militaristic ships. And Tycho comes back to this with one ship alone may founder where three together may aid one another and that actually makes me think of the idea of the three heads of the dragon of the balance between having those three different leaders or i don't know three branches of government i don't know three in general balancing each other out but also working together to support each with its own sort of like strength but i do think that there is something and we'll talk a little bit more about uh that link between the military and and financial powers a little bit later but it is a little suspicious john I do love the the three pulling out that three. We have to be wary of that because there's
0: a ton of that peppered through John's stuff right now. George is just laying it on super thick,
1: yeah, he's like three John, what's it mean <laughs> uh.
0: so Tycho corrects John, John called him a Lord. Tycho is not a Lord. I love that little flash sense you know John same way, yeah. but he's willing to speak with John right now, and he would prefer the solar to the wall. John tries to sell it. He's like, come on, it's one of the eight world wonders. And Tycho's like, maybe another time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, John Same requests idea, like, some mold. I'm good. Yeah, the heights, the cold, I don't know. It's just not for Chloe. It's not for me. It's not. John requests mold wine from Satin, who's not been upkeeping John's fire as well as Ed would have. They head to the room behind the armory. The raven bleats a hello in the background as Tycho confirms he's looking for Stannis. And that Celise suggested they send a raven to Deepwood of Delicate Matters awaiting him at the Night Fort. Delicate Matters. Just putting that out there that a, at the Night this Fort. Is this a sext? I don't think it's a sex, but I mean, like, yeah. delicately put, you're gonna burn your daughter there anyways. Yeah. Tycho is like, I don't want to tell you. I can't. Like, legally, I can't tell you. But then he's like... Uh. But I'm going to do it anyway. And he, like, tells him that Robert owed some debts to the Iron Bank, and the Iron Throne stopped paying them. So now Tycho's like, maybe someone else wants to pay them. And if Stannis wants to sit the throne, the someone else might want to support the Iron Bank. John advises him Stannis plans to march on Winterfell, that maybe... He shouldn't go march there because he might die. Tycho's like, those who serve the Iron Bank face death full on, like those who serve the Iron Throne. So there's a passage I want to read, but there's some really interesting stuff in this upcoming passage and some of the stuff that Tycho just told us and what comes later. For now, A, Tycho's a gossipy biatch. Like, that's for sure. B, it's like he almost wants the Night's Watch to have this loan. Although he's reluctant at first, it it almost feels like there's a Bravosi agenda peeking out at us. He tells John that he can't tell him about the money, but then immediately tells him that it's Stannis and the Iron Throne. He then basically, in those same words, is telling him, I can make or break kings with the gold from the Iron Bank. He tells him the Iron Bank faces death, much like those who serve the throne. John's like, I don't know if that's who I serve, but... He doesn't. He serves the realm, much like the Iron Bank, who we've kind of joked is deep state, but they make or break and turn the tides with their gold and other things in their culture, like the
1: Faceless Men. Yeah, they've got a... Yeah, they've got a lot of other tools that normal banks don't. Um, I do wonder, who is more gossipy? Tycho mm. or Pike. Oh, good question. We should start a blog together. <laughs> The Iron Bank of Bravos though, I think, you know, with all the things that you're talking about, is such an interesting exploration and uh, one of many, many, many answers to Varius's riddle to Tyrion about, you know, who does the man with the sword follow? The rich man, the priest, or the king? And quite frankly, right now, Jon has all three of these at his disposal to an extent, like through Selys, via Selys, Stannis, right, and that rulership, and uh, Tycho, not necessarily a rich man, but representing the Iron Bank. And you have Melisandre, right? Um, especially as Jon and Tycho muse upon how the Iron Bank is going to back Stannis, probably. And if he does, then that means that Stannis could buy all the swords and military that he wants or needs in order to try and win this war. And we've seen that combination of military power and finance. It, it's quite... Um, through the Lannisters and the Tyrells, uh, they both have different kinds of wealth and abundance, but there's absolutely a link between the two, and we we saw it a little in that embodiment, the metaphor of those ships that Tyco was boarding on here. In our House Valerian Patreon episode that came out recently, we discussed the role of the free cities in the upcoming books, and I think Bravos is absolutely just a taste of it. In this chapter, it's just a teaser of what we're going to see because, like. Yes, bravos can make or break some of these kings here, but there's going to be one contender for the Iron Throne that will be backed by one of the wealthiest men in the Free Cities, who has a lot of sway there. Illyrio Mopatis in Pentos, and I think Illyrio's coin is going to be a huge driver for success for Fagin and bringing in a lot of military resources, uh, bringing other other uh kinds of resources especially as winter starts rearing its head because i'm not sure that also everyone in the golden company is like here because they're just like really bought into the blackfire vision on -hmm. the throne i obviously some are but some are like i needed a job
0: and yeah i mean some are just broken (laughs) men that go from lord to
1: lord yeah or like not necessarily to lord whoever whoever pays or they're just there hanging out And losing Illyrio's money can end up being a big game changer as well. We've already seen that Daenerys uh, breaking the slave cities apart has had a toll on the Essos economy. Uh, and I mean maybe you shouldn't have built your economy on the slave trade. That's just like my take. But anyway, it's highly likely that Danny is going to end up turning on Illyrios and perhaps even all of Pentos, uh, when she finds out what Illyrio did, but also because if she throws in with the Tattered Prince because Barriston was like, I made a deal while you were gone. Didn't I do good? I did it. I ruled, right? I love that Danny has to come home to all these
0: messes and just be like <sighs>
1: Like, this you did is what, what happens
0: when mom leaves to burn the cows.
1: Yeah, She's like, oh my god. She's just being like, Barristan, you tried, I guess, but what the fuck? You
0: guys trashed the house.
1: <laughs> Basically, she's like, oh my god, this vase was really important to me. Um, And by vase, I mean, peace with Pentos. Uh, but, I mean, if Fagon, like loses all the wealth that bolsters his campaign through Illyrio, I mean... Drawing those purse strings a little tighter is going to be harder for them. Some people are going to be like, "Why am I even here?" And likely, John Connington, who as we all know, is already living on borrowed time because he's got grayscale, is going to get even more desperate as resources start depleting and that support overseas and pentos goes under, right, especially with all the other interpolitical stuff with the other free cities. And I think it'll be interesting this go around uh to see this iteration of who comes out on top. When it comes to Varies' riddle, especially as he's doing all he can to collect other kinds of trappings of power, not just financial. You know how you said John Connington has grayscale? Yeah.
0: I mean, wouldn't you think that Rhaegar Targaryen would say it was more like gay scale? Oh, cop. <sighs> uh,
1: Yeah. Metaphor?
0: Is that who I serve? Jon Snow was no longer certain. I can provide you with horses. Provisions, guides, whatever is required to get you as far as Deepwood Mott. From there you will need to make your own way to Stannis. And you may well find his head upon a spike. There will be a price.
1: Price! Price! Screamed Mormons Raven. Price! Price!
0: There is always a price, is there not? The bravo, smiled. What does the watch require? That was my Tycho, did
1: you like it? (laughs) I did, I did. Could you imagine me having a curly mustache? Oh, I was thinking of... I, I, ever since, what what is his name, Mark Gaddis performed as Tycho, I'm like, okay.
0: Yeah, that's true. And the hats. I always imagined him with big floppy hats.
1: Aww. John requests Tycho's three ships. He's like, remember those cool ships? I want them for a single voyage and alone to feed them until spring and to hire ships to bring food in. Hold on. Quick thought. You know who else is always like, I want your ships? Daenerys! <laughs> So both John and Danny into ships, anyways. <laughs> double entendre intended. <laughs> Tycho's like, I'm not going for it. And John tries to remember what Stannis said about his haggling skills. He was like, Stannis called me like a crone with a codfish, and then he's like, mm, maybe it's true. Someone was joking once that I was uh, fathered on a fisherman. Someone joked once that his father was father's on a fishwife, and that is one of the red herrings that George places in this ah. book, in one of the other chapters, where someone's talking about, like, so, who did Ned Stark father bastard on? And they were saying that it was a fishwife, but it couldn't have been, because, because George confirmed to David and Dan who John's mother was before the release of Dance, and that's the first time that woman's ever been mentioned in Dance. Maybe
0: it was more of a lizard lion's wife. Anyways. <laughs> so it's not going well. John's like, my haggling sucks, but a little bit of wine, a.k.a. a whole flagon of mold wine, two hours later, and they're unhappily half drunk, and they've finally come to a deal. The three ships will give John a full fleet of 11 at Eastwatch once they fix some of Salador San's ships that had been left. The ships would sail to Hardhome to rescue Mother Mole and her people that trust them, and when they finish negotiations, it is dark and snowing out. John asks Tycho if he might have encountered a maester, singer, steward, wildling girl, and baby in the canals of Bravos by any chance, which is a very vague, but Tycho's like, no, you nerd, I'm a banker, I don't even live near there. It's a totally different neighborhood, John. I'm a traveling salesman. You're very salesman. inconsiderate.
1: Yeah, yeah, I work remotely. Like,
0: yeah, I work remote. All the same. Tycho's like, I'll look into it when I return home. But John's like, no, they're in Old Town by now. Forget it. You're useless. Tycho says that the sea has been very dangerous lately with very strange ships in the Stepstones. Sailor san has been rumored to return there. Lord Redbind's fleet is in the Broken Arm. But no, he says, other ships too.
1: Yeah, so regarding these strange ships that people haven't really seen before, I do think it's interesting. There's a couple of reading orders that one can do of This book combined with Feast, of Dance combined with Feast. A Feast with Dragons reading order has John 9 in Dance coming before Cersei 10 and Feast, which is, I believe, the chapter where she finds out about Orin Waters skipping town. But I do think it could be fun with the Boiled Leather order uh, that has John 9 coming before Cersei 10, and maybe George could have played around with that idea back then when these were one. Book because I think that these ships could have been orred waters, lore in the stepstones as the Corsair King. It seems like he, something he could be interested in teasing and then confirming in a few chapters with, through Cersei. But also based on the next line about dragons, these could be John Connington's ships. He talked about volunteer ships in in um the Griffin Reborn that were bringing them to Westeros, but not all the ships, you know, uh made it at the same time, some summer, are like, God knows where, and we'll hopefully meet up with them later. Uh, you know, ended up going adrift. And so it as as uh Tycho says, it's not Solid War's songs because he's he says these ships are from further east. Vol- Volantis is further east, um, especially as we think about dragons, um, which he brings up in the next line.
0: Yeah. I like that catch, and I do think that Orion Waters' ships are there, but this chapter is cushioned by the blind girl that comes next, and like you were saying that a few chapters later, if you're paying attention to different reading orders, you would notice that chronologically there's a bunch of stuff that happens, different ships going on, but... Right away, right after this, Arya is blind from the kindly man. She's playing the lying game with the waif. She goes off to beg during the day and she's near Pinto in Ragman's Harbor. She learns that there are two Lysini ships, the Goodheart and the Elephant, that are pushed north due to a storm. And they find Mother Mole and her people at Hardhome who are like, hey, this is our bus. And a lot of them climb into it. Some do not. Mother Mole does not. They take... Some of the free folk aboard, and they end up set trying to sell them as slaves. The Goodheart ends up forced into Bravos by a storm, and the Sea Lord of Bravos seizes it because slave trade is forbidden in Bravos. So, if the Bravosi have their own little hidden agenda that we chatted about, even in the north, Tycho could be mentioning these exact strange ships that intervened in John's plan before he could execute. At the same time, the seized free folk from the Bravosi sea lord. What's going to happen to them? I,
1: That's honest, what I want to know. I don't know.
0: Could they be kept as hostages to keep John's word to the debt, maybe? Uh, I, I, there's just a lot of speculation as to what's going to happen with those free folk that are seized in Bravos. but it makes me think that Tycho knows the north is going to play a crucial wo- point in the war, one way or another, in the War of the Dawn, possibly old lore and secrets that maybe see know. Um, possibly John, even being an important part, because later on, John says this, this all felt too simple. And immediately after this, the free folk get on those Lysini ships and not John's rentals, which don't get me started, because this is really people say Hard Home was such a great episode of Game of Thrones, and I'm like, you're missing all of the actual interesting parts about it. God. Yeah, also, it's like, it's just like what certain people are doing with made-up scenes on other shows where they're just like, I know this didn't happen, but what if we decided it did? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, sidebar. Sidebar. So, Tycho does bring up dragons as you said. John laughs and he's like, oh, wish we had one here to warm us up. And Tycho's like, not funny. All my ancestors fled Valyria because of the dragon lords. Dragons are no joke. Super meta, uh, the dragons are no joke, but in the universe, they really aren't, which is why the Bravosi broke away on their own to create their weird art oyster world and I wonder if Tycho and the Bravosi deep state Intel chain know this whole song of ice and fire shit, right, like know of info about the dragons need to be there to defeat the others, or they know they're coming, you know because they're like all knowing death servants and. They understand death, which it's like, it's the whole thing. Only those who accept death can learn to understand it, blah, blah, blah. And then John dies, blah, 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 blah. I get it. Tons of thoughts, tons of thoughts. And I don't know, maybe it's tinfoil, but do you think Tycho Nestoris might come to collect his debt in the spring? But maybe it's more like a faceless man debt. Like, sometimes it's not just gold. Sometimes it's more than gold, right? Something important to you. What if Tycho tries to get John to pay his debt by killing dragons or something?
1: Yeah, and he's going to be like, no.
0: Yeah, and then maybe he sells that right to someone else who wants the land.
1: Yeah, or they tell him, again, they have Arya, which they kind of do, but also she's going to be like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, I think that this idea of the free folk who are being held there... You know, if they ever make their way back north, there's like a million different ways for Arya to get back to Westeros. This is one possibility, you know, in their exchange and being returned north. Maybe this is a way that Arya gets over there. There's a million different possibilities. And then she's like pretending to be someone else and then she goes and she sees John hanging out with Jane pretending to be her and she's like, what the fuck is this? I leave (laughs) for two seconds.
0: (laughs) I like the idea of Arya very Nymeria-esque leading Mm. free folk Home. Uh, I figured she'd home. be
1: sneaking along. Oh, with uh, as part of it, but yeah,
0: I mean that too. But I guess either way, I like the idea of her bringing like a people to home. I yeah. thought that's kind of neat. Very Nymeria-esque. That's yeah. a cool kind of theory. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I like it. I don't know. There's a million different ways, all of which are probably boats. But <sighs> yep. as as you've said <laughs> before, <laughs> a wise woman once
0: said that Arya
1: was coming back to Westeros on a boat. <laughs> So, this is one of many boats. Tycho says that lending gold to people gives him an appetite. He's (laughs) like, feed me, John. And John's like, alright, we're gonna go to the hall, and has sat and fetched them some food. He's like, you know what? We might as well break bread while we're here. Let's just do it. The cellar is crowded, and most of the men, on duty or off, are here to eat. And some new people keeps everything very exciting for John. Maybe it's not always excitement he wants, but whatever. The Queen and Shireen, though, are notably absent, but some of her men are here, like Sir Bruce, Sir Maligorn.
0: Yeah, it's like when people from corporate visit and no one does work because there's just jolly good jokes happening. This happens at my work sometimes, so. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I've definitely had people show up from corporate, and it's like, oh, hello, this is what we do every day, and now we're going to talk for six hours. It's very crazy. It's very crazy.
1: No, that doesn't happen to me.
0: Ugh, lucky. Some of the queen's ladies are seated together. They're being attended by serving maids and some male admirers. I'd love to theorize about who her ladies are because I don't know. There's a lot of stipulations surrounding like her ladies. So a lot of the lords and knights and men with Stannis are single and looking for glory and I say their reward to
1: mingle. They're Pretty not- much. I mean, they,
0: uh, uh, it's funny, because a lot of them are just Southern guys, and they're definitely up there like, oh, turns out we're really racist, and it turns out all the single ladies are wildlings.
1: Yeah, and it's like, this is not going to work out well for you. You think it is, well.
0: And they do try, I mean, like, that's the thing is, the next chapter when Alice Karstark gets married to a very mysterious handsome beau that we don't know until about halfway through the chapter who it is. Uh, it's the Sigourn. Uh but until Alice marries Sigorn, like that sets off a bomb and all of a sudden they start making these marriages and it's very much so like what we see in Cregan Stark going south in the Hour of the Wolf in Fire and Blood and Aliceann Blackwood saying you know like hey we gotta marry some of these people off because there's no castles in the south anymore. A- Aegon, his whole crew is just stomping up and down the Stormlands right now, right? Because Stannis just, like, left his house there unprotected. That's what you do when you leave your fucking front door unlocked. People are going to come in, Stannis. Guard your front door. But it's what we see happen where there's no housing there for them anymore. So all of these knights and men are going north with the idea of land because the north has room to grow and people to marry off. And these soldiers are ready for life and land. And a lot of them are one-offs. They're a lower knight... With no chance at glory at home, that read Stannis' letter and decided to ride to join them. The Stormlands being broken apart, most people in places like House Stedman were captured at Blackwater and extorted into fealty to Joffrey. And they also voted Renly first, so let's not get it twisted. But <laughs> The Wilds are loyal, although the Lord is older. Maybe a granddaughter or daughter might accompany them. Lady Shira Errol supported Renly first, then Stannis, but she dies and Lord Sebastian rules. He hasn't declared notably in the books yet for either side. I don't, uh, he probably is just background Stormland. Uh, Lord Fell campaigns for Stannis but ends up dying on the road. Literally, he falls into ice water and dies. Uh, Fell is another one of those loyal to Robert people, by the way, with House Grandison, but. Uh, Maybe they have some granddaughters or daughters. The other problem we're seeing here is that this is so unnamed in background, but a lot of the Reach women are actually in King's Landing right now with Marjorie. as far as single women and campaigning in the north is not really glamorous. So following the royals throughout the freezing fucking cold and piles of snow is just kind of like not really great, especially when it's knockoff royals, right? Like they don't have a real throne. So I imagine a lot of these people are Robert supporters that Stannis is keeping, too. I think a woman from House Massey wouldn't be outrageous, especially when you consider Rhaenyra had Alinda Massey as a lady-in-waiting, and Eleanor Massey was a marriage candidate for Aegon III, and Tristan Massey was Master of Laws to Aegon I. I also imagine for Selyse's ladies-in-waiting, she wouldn't suffer a younger girl. Right? She'd want someone who knew what they were doing. She seems like a severe woman, and I can't see anyone below 21 years old helping her very well or lasting long enough.
1: Yeah. um, I want to come back to the point that you were making about Stannis taking. I don't know. About Stannis' home, and by that we mean Storm's End and Dragonstone, all of those being taken because he's left no one there. Because we see that actually being the issue a, a little bit later in this chapter, as Alice Karstark explains what ha- what's happened to Carhold, She's like, yeah, a- as you said, all these men were like, yeah, we're going to just go. It's going to be great. We want glory. And that's exactly what happened with the Karstarks. She's like, why don't you should have stayed here? Um, but all of her brothers were like, no, we're going south. We're going we're gonna to fight. It's going to be rad. And two of them died. And now Herian's, uh being held as a prisoner. So shit's going great. And she's like, great. Thanks a lot, everyone. And um, I think that this is part of the thinking, beyond like other magical speculation or whatever, behind why there's that saying, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell, right? Because they realize that this is absolutely a possibility when you don't have that held. And honestly, if not for Theon being let into Winterfell because he knew it so well and kind of snuck in, because they also liked him, uh, because they grew up with him. They didn't like him, like, a super lot after all this, right? Like, this is, this is why you do that. You leave someone there who can inherit it so that you can't have what happens with Carhold or Storm Zen, or Dragonstone happening. Yeah, uh, or Winterfell being yeah, sacked but- and given. And that's a weird, no, you're right, it is
0: a one-off, like... There were there was a Stark there, but there it were two. was, like, weekly there. Yeah, but, like, two half-Starks, because they're literally the size of half of a Stark, don't count as one Stark, Heliana.
1: Mm, I don't know. If you put them in a trench coat... If you
0: put <laughs> Vincent Rickon and Bran in a trench coat, A, Rickon's gonna get injured. B...
1: <laughs> Vincent Adultman is basically what you get, and that's... he's a businessman. He does business... Axel Florent is tearing into the food, eating meat off the bone, and then catches John's eye and comes over to be like, so John, what's up? We're bros, right? And John's like, we're not. He knows that Axel's like allegedly a tough guy and he's not to be messed with. Thinking back to Macer's aim of Axel letting Melisandre burn his own brother. He's like, this guy looks really funny, but he's also like, who, who does that? Who lets people burn their own brother in front of them?
0: <laughs> but he's also like the whole time like god damn this guy is one ugly looking motherfucker <laughs> interesting version of when john said he thought jamie looked king-like because mm. he's thinking he's talking about axel florent and he's like if that guy's not a kinslayer he's basically the next thing and i'm interesting that john just thinks all the time about kin and kingslayers just yeah. throw it out there just throw it out there
1: It ties into later in this chapter, but also in that regard of who just lets people burn their brother in front of them. I do think that there is some hashtag nuance. I will. It's a strange thing to say about the situation because John's later girlfriend slash aunt, his kin, that happened. That happened. Where I mean, of course, Viserys was abusive towards her. And threatened to kill her child, but like, I mean, that's an understandable circumstance, right? So, uh, John, there are exceptions. <laughs> I, Axel's um, not one of them. No, not at all.
0: Axel asks to join John and Tycho, and John's like, oh, "Okay," and <laughs> immediately Axel is like, "So where's the Wildling princess?" And John's like, "Not a princess." Like, Janet voice from The Good Place. Not a princess. Uh, Axel's like, I don't care about technicalities. She's hot. I'd like to put some eyes and dick up on that, if you know what I mean. And John's like, nope, not a prize. Get out of there. And realistically, he knows that Axel knows. John let her go. And Axel's being relentless. He's like, oh, I'll go to her, you know. Just let me know where she is. Like, do I need to ask the queen to do this? I hate this guy. And then he pulls the balls out and says... A word from her grace, and I can have the wildling girl delivered naked to the hall for our inspection.
1: Mm, Yeah, the worst. Yeah,
0: I love that John's like, that would be a pretty trick, even for a queen, in his head. But out loud, he's like, she would never presume upon our hospitality. Please, please don't, he says.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Selyse has already presumed on hospitality, but whatever. Uh, Axel just feels really entitled, for some reason, to ogle Val, it's really… shit. Uh, And honestly, I think Axel's pretty lucky in this moment that Val isn't here, and that he couldn't. Because based on his comments, it sounds like Axel was really excited to try and assault Val, and I do not think that Val would be very interested in allowing any of that to happen.
0: Nope, and I wish that she was there because I would love for him to try. I wish a motherfucker would try. <laughs> I would love to see what happens. Just the outcome. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me.
1: Maybe. No, I don't think so. I think everyone wants <laughs> to see a uh, Valpunch punch Axel in the face.
0: John says he has to do some hosting duties and leaves walking outside into very heavy snow. He goes to his solar. He feeds his pet, Burb. Reads over his agreement with Tycho three times, may I add, three times, amazed at how simple it was to pull that off. He'll be able to afford food for the watch, but if the winter goes longer than planned, the watch will be in terrible debt. And the Bank of Bravos isn't your average repo company, right? Like, I've seen Repo mm-hmm. the Genetic Opera, and that might be closer. But he thinks that it's debt or death. Very meta, just putting that out there. This is healthcare. And we get some very great financial exposition about the Iron Bank being the biggest, baddest bank of the nine free cities, and that when royalty stopped paying its bill, new royalty is born, as poor plump Tommen might be about to learn, John thinks. Stannis has a really good chance if he accepts the bank's terms, some might call them extortion, which would pay for sellsword companies and bribery to keep his seat. If he survives his attack at Winterfell, he's basically the king, John thinks.
1: He thinks. Yeah. Uh, Santa thinks. Yeah, John right. wonders if Melisandre saw that one coming. <laughs> Did you see that cold hard burn. cash in your in your fires, Melisandre?
0: Yeah, bet you didn't see that one in your fires. Maybe you need a burn kit for that yeah. sick burn. It's
1: too busy making it rain. Oh my god! On the fires, anyways. And then he yawns. He's ready to give in. Go to bed. Uh, and then he begins to plan the next bajillion pages of this chapter, specifically another letter to Connor Pike, being like, You will never believe what happened to me today. <laughs>
0: I love that he straight up is like planning a letter. Like He has a draft of it in his brain, and he's like, I'm going to tell him about the 11 ships to Hardhome, and then the free folk coming back, woman and children first. And he's like, should I go myself, or should I leave it to Cotter Pike? And for a second, <laughs> he's like, J. Orr letter ranging and never came back. And at the same time, I'm out here like, yeah, J. Orr was murdered by his brothers, too. So, maybe you
1: should think a little further, John. Yeah, but John's really into just tempting everyone yep. <laughs> and to kill the game. He's like, remember that time everyone mutinied and killed the Lord Commander? And, uh, jazz hands. <laughs> you wouldn't, dot, 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 unless, dot, 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 <laughs> dot, dot ha, ha, ha. Honestly, though, I think Bowen Marsh would have had a conniption if he heard John was going on this expedition. He would have been like, John, what are you doing? Like, on one hand, he would have been like, this is my chance, but on the other hand, he would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? No, you need to stay here!
0: John would come back to the gates, and like, Bowen Marsh would have frozen them all out by then.
1: Yeah, he would have been like, nope,
0: you had your chance. Cleaning house, bastard! He closes his eyes just for a second and he awakens to the raven cawing at him and Molly shaking him. A girl had been found two leagues south of Molestown. town. John asks if it's Val. He's like, you guys know who Val is. Like, what do you mean? And Molly's like, no, it was on the other side of the wall. John realizes it's Arya. He runs around to get ready and awake. Molly says the girl arrived on a dying horse that was lame, the skin and ribs showing, and that she was being questioned now. A great girl on a dying horse, he thinks. "Molly says the girl was shivering and cold and could be found in Maester Eamon's chambers with Clytus. John felt 15 years old again. Little sister.
1: Yeah, joke's on him. Arya's not a great girl on a dying horse. She's out here eating fresh shellfish. Right, she's Plants getting... And cockles. Yeah, she's eating oysters all the time. having Having a great time. Except for the part where, you know, every now and then she drinks a potion, gets turned blind, and has really, really strenuous training that's uh, a lot. But otherwise, yeah. otherwise good. Otherwise, otherwise. Uh, John, the sun is coming up as they walk through the yard, and John notices a red light flickering in Melisandre's window at the King's Tower, and he's like, what game is she playing at if this is Arya? And what did she really have Mance doing then? Spoiler alert, John, Melisandre was wrong!
0: He wanted to believe it would be Arya. He wanted to see her face again. To smile at her and muss her hair. To tell her she was safe. She won't be safe, though. Winterfell is burned and broken and there are no more safe places. He could not keep her here with him, no matter how much he might want to. The wall was no place for a woman, much less a girl of noble birth. Nor was he about to turn her over to Stannis or Melisandre. (laughs) Ha ha ha, unless... John doesn't want to let Stannis marry Arya to one of his men or Melisandre to make use of her, quote unquote, because, you know, king's blood. So he thinks the best way to deal with Arya is to ask Cotter Pike to send her someplace safely across the sea once the ships return from Hardhome or to have her return with Tycho Nestorius to Braavos or see if the Iron Bank could foster her with a well-off family. Lol. John.
1: Turns out. I mean, she's with the richest family she can be with the Assassin's Guild. They're loaded. Yeah, they are. Uh, I, I think along with all that, what's interesting to me is the hypocrisy in all the things that John is talking about. First of all, he's like the wall is no place for a woman or a girl of noble birth. Uh, cut to Melisandre. <laughs> cut to the Queen. Cut to Princess Shireen. Second of all, ah. Uh, the idea that he doesn't like Stannis marrying Arya off to one of his men and quote-unquote making (laughs) use of her, because I'm like, okay, interesting, John, interesting, considering this is exactly what you start doing in the next few chapters and with Alice Karstark nonetheless.
0: Yeah, it's not like, personally, I don't have a problem with it, it's just I see how everyone else has a problem with it.
1: Yeah, I see how everyone else has a problem with it, and I'm also like, John man, you were really out here judging Stannis for that, and yet here you are. All those vows,
0: they make you swear and
1: swear. And he's like, but I'm going to make everyone else swear and swear some marriage (sighs) vows.
0: He begins to plan Arya's brand new life, and he thinks of what sort of silver he would need to provide her, since A, he's rich now, and B, she's just a child. She can't take care of herself. Cut to Arya in Bravos right now. He heads to Eamon's chambers, and the steam within the chambers almost blinds him as he opens the door. He steps over a puddle of damp clothing and finds a skinny brunette with brown hair and a long face. But it's not Arya. Too old to be Arya. Wrapped in a wool cloak, the girl sleeps at the fire, having had some bread and broth. She awakens, and they tell her she's made it to Castle Black. She's 15, a woman grown and flowered, and she does look a bit like Arya. John says he's been told she has asked for him, and he says that he is. And she interrupts him and says, "John Snow, we're tied
1: by blood." She's really into reiterating this idea. Calls him kinsman, and I, I think what she's pulling here—it kind of reminds me of Catelyn Stark at the end of the Crossroads, Ooh. bringing up all of these uh, vows. But here, she's doing it as blood ties and calling John Snow kinsman in, store, in order to establish his responsibility to her. She's—you like, wouldn't just let me go out there and die. Would you Yeah,
0: it's very smart how she brings it up and it does show a lot of Alice's sensibilities because first she frames it with her uncle Cregan chasing her to take her birthright, to get her married off to him so that he can keep carhold through their son. Uh John, she tells him, has to keep him from taking her back to Carhold. And John's like, Oh my god, it's on the tip of my tongue. You're what's your name? And then he's like, Oh, you're Alice Carstark." And she recanted him the last time he would have seen her, age six. She had How come would to anyone come. remember
1: that? People look very different after I ten don't years, ten. and they don't have fucking photographs. Anyways, Eliana
0: can see someone within a year and not remember them. So no,
1: I might remember maybe, but I won't remember their name. <laughs> I'll remember like everything about their life, maybe.
0: As you see them, you'll have a psychic vision, and you'll be like, "I know them." Like that's so Raven.
1: Yeah, I was thinking also that's so Raven. <laughs>
0: <gasps> uh, alice recants the last time that john would have seen her age six she had come to winterfell with her father john remembers suddenly oh yeah the one rob beheaded and she danced with both john and rob her father had hoped she would marry rob who was very courteous but john had been sullen
1: yeah apparently rob told her that she danced beautifully and i'm just like oh that's so sweet small baby Rob being so courteous I can just imagine like as a child he's like someone told me you dance so beautifully that he's supposed to say that and again who remembers stuff from that long ago apparently this must have left a really big impression on this girl because she's like do you remember that John and John's like yeah and he's like "Uh, uh, uh," eternally he's like no I've been through a lot of traumatic stuff I have PTSD I can't right now
0: (laughs) oh the boys just finished we lost
1: Alice says, John, you're still pretty sullen, by the way, and if you save me, though, from my uncle, actually my cousin, but we call him Uncle Cregan, I'll forgive you. She's like, okay.
0: <laughs> she basically reveals that, in a manner of secession, she's the next heir to Carhold. She was originally betrothed to Darren Hornwood, but Darren was killed by the Slayer in the Whispering Wood. Her father hoped to marry her to a southern match, but... Then Rob killed him, so now they're trying to marry her to Cregan. Alice doesn't seem to agree with Rob's sentence and asks if John and her have blood feud. He says no, they do not, so again, very smart. She certifies, good, we have no issue. And she says she did not know who to turn to but the last son of Eddard Stark.
1: So I I like the way that this line is uh portrayed because I think it's gonna be something we see again in the future. Alice says, "My father never bellowed like the great John, but he was no less dangerous in his wrath. He is dead now too, though. So is your brother. But you and I are here, still living. Is there blood feud between us, Lord Snow?" And John's like, Uh, when a man takes the black, he puts his feuds behind him. The Night's Watch has no quarrel with Carhold nor with you." And she's like, "Good. I was afraid." And then like a bunch of other shit. But I did want to revisit this exchange because I think. It reminds me a little of that uh, scene in the award-winning HBO television series that these books are based off, uh, Game of Thrones. In Dragonstone, in the throne room when Daenerys and Jon first meet, they talk about not wanting to judge each other based on the sins of their fathers or whatever it was. And I think that idea of there being no blood feud uh, is that. But I think So I think we'll see this idea again there. The show was pulling from something we'll probably see, but, you know, it's going to be better in the books.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there is that whole line that we get with Tyrion, right? Like, it all goes back, puppets on their strings. Um, Tyrion is, of course, very, very much so enwrapped in that sins of our father plot line. And it it all goes back to that wanting to be them, but also wanting to be better than them. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: like we said, that line, where do you cross it? John is surprised at this from Alice because Carhold had declared for Stannis, but Alice is like, no, 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 no. They declared for Stannis in hopes that the Lannisters would kill her brother, who last they heard was a prisoner in Maidenpool, and then they could steal the birthright from her once Cregan got a child in her. She says that he's buried two wives already and wipes a tear from her eyes, asking John to help her. She's good. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. Like, this bitch. John says these are matters for Stannis, not him, and Alice laughs in despair.
1: Yeah, uh, first off, I want to reiterate once more, on the heels of all those Theon chapters that we did, that Stannis is so fucking lucky that Theon (laughs) showed up out of his camp to tell him all of this, like, holy shit, he lucked out so hard. Uh, second, the line here that John thinks of is, Marriages and inheritance are matters for the king, my lady. I will write to Stannis on your behalf, but- You know, I think that's really interesting, John. It's very interesting to me that you think uh, (laughs) marriages and inheritance are matters for the king. Because here you are marrying people off. Marrying off Alice. Things like that. Because guess what, John? You're going to find out that you're the king. Snow, Ned. Snow.
0: Uh, yeah, he's just, uh, taking care of his realm. Someone's got him.
1: he's like, I serve the realm. Stannis
0: sure isn't. She says that Arnulf plans to put a dagger in Stannis' back, that he's shackled up with Roose Bolton for gold and a pardon. Stannis is walking into a slaughter. Alice knelt before him, clutching the black cloak. You are my only hope, Lord Snow. In your father's name, I beg you, protect me.
1: Okay, Princess Leia.
0: I also, that, that's very true. Only hope. Only hope.
1: Actually. But, no.
0: Literally the only hope. But it does remind me of Ned a lot. Mm. Parallels to a couple things. Bera, when she begs for Ned's protection. I promise I haven't been with no one else. Uh parallels to Liana. Having Ned promise her. And oh, parallels to Sansa, too, uh, her wailing about lady's death and begging her dad um it reminds me of all those promises that ned made to people to protect them and keep them safe and that line was that line at night he dreamt of broken pl- promises and blood or blood and broken promises or whatever that line is just so haunting that is precisely how it makes me feel
1: damn yeah yeah and here it's a little different it's not protecting someone else it it's her asking to be protected. Yeah. Junta's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, uh I think he really does. Uh we'll talk we're obviously gonna talk about that all next episode, because yeah. the next episode is the wedding episode, but the wedding Again, like yes, he shouldn't have, but also it's such a smart move politically. For a it king saves everyone. Yeah. It it's showing good rulership and it sucks that we gotta break an egg. To make an omelette. Oh my god. John's the egg. Why do we, this why
1: do we pick omelettes? I feel like there are other kinds of eggs that I like more.
0: You know, we gotta break an egg to make a steamed
1: egg. Thank you. Thank you we for understanding We gotta break an me. egg
0: to hard boil it. Nope, that not Nope,
1: that actually, you're right. That is the, the situation in which it does not work.
0: <laughs> well, that wraps up John 9 in A Dance with Dragons. We danced. There were dragons. There was Tycho. Next week is a big episode as well. Wedding episode. Wedding bells are the ringing. The
1: wedding! <laughs>
0: yes. It is kind of the, the best chapter. I mean, it's like the last bit of happiness in John's chapters.
1: Yeah. I mean, at least, you know, it doesn't sound like anyone dies at this one, right? If I'm not mistaken? Well, it must be a boring wedding. Must be. It was alright. It was cute. Affair.
0: Ludicrous display.
1: <laughs> you could just walk right into the fire. <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for continuing to follow us with John. If you have any thoughts or want to keep up with our episodes, uh, follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. That's C-A-N-O-N. Or maybe shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at com.
0: Hey, and make sure you're subscribed to us on the various platforms that we host our podcast on. We are mainly hosted at Podbean, .podbean podbean.com. You can also find us on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Acast, Stitcher, Overcast, you name it.
1: And of course, we referenced it a little bit this past episode, but for some thoughts on the Free Cities, but especially on House Valerian, we did just put out a Patreon episode on... The House of the Seahorse, which was pretty close to the House of the Dragon, not exactly the same, pretty different animal entirely, but still closely related, all patrons, $5 and up, get access to those special monthly episodes.
0: Yes, and as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your
1: hosts, Eliana.
0: Bye, guys. The wedding! And it's gonna be great! (laughs)